Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Hey there, good morning. Welcome back to our fifth and final lesson through our series through the Old Testament book of Joel. Joel's prophecy, as we've been experiencing it over the last number of weekends, uh, is very image-rich. Joel has, has been describing in the earlier parts of the prophecy, he describes this locust plague uh, that, that came and devoured the land, and then he kind of shifts a little bit, stemming from that locust invasion, stemming off of that locust imagery, there seems to be another invasion, but this time it might be a human invasion, a, a human army that comes in from the north. But through, the, through it all, through the national drama, there, there, there's, there's turmoil, and, and through all of that, God does provide a solution. He calls his people to repent, to turn and return back to God. Friends, God is in the business of rescuing. And along with rescue, God also promises that someday he is going to empower and fill his people with his Holy Spirit. And as we have seen, Joel, he's dishing out uh, these prophetic visions of, of devastation and despair, but also Joel gives us visions of restoration. God will put life back together. God will put life back together. But we do know biblically, in order for God to do that, that involves judgment. Humans are wicked. We're actually really good at it. A brief example is like, you know, historians remind us that uh, the 20th century was the bloodiest, most destructive century in human history, right? Like, like we, we are creative in wickedness, and, and it will be a good thing for God to, to hold us accountable, to judge, and to take care of all of this wickedness. It, like, it would actually do the planet a big favor. Like, like it is a good thing that God will, will take care of things and, and, and bring his judgment and, and bring his, his restoration. God is a God of judgment but he is also a God of mercy. And today we kind of hold these two in tension together. Often judgment and salvation, judgment and restoration, I mean, they, they go together. And so today, as we get into Joel chapter three, we're going to take a look at the whole chapter today. Joel chapter three, uh, here is the outline for, for us today. The first Three verses are going to act as like an introduction to God's judgment on the nations. And then God's going to zoom in a little bit. He's going to specifically call out three of, of Israel, Judah and Israel's neighbors. God is going to pronounce judgment on these seacoast nations, these people groups uh, by the Mediterranean Sea. And then God's judgment uh, will, will be proclaimed uh, over the nations, and then finally we end with God's restoration and this hope for new creation. We get a vision of like a new Eden, okay? So let's go ahead and, and read it, and then we'll get started. Joel chapter 3. Yes, 
In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there. Because of my people, my inheritance Israel, the nations have scattered the Israelites in foreign countries and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine to drink. And also, Tyre, Sidon, and the territories of Philistia, what are you to me? And are you paying me back or trying to get even with me? I will quickly bring retribution on your heads. For you took my silver and gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks to remove them far from their own territory. Look, I am about to rouse them up from the place where you sold them. I will bring retribution on your heads. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for holy war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the men of war advance and attack. Beat your plows into swords and your pruning knives into spears. Let even the weakling say, I am a warrior. Come quickly, all you surrounding nations. Gather yourselves. Bring down your warriors there, Lord. Let the nations be roused and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations. Swing the sickle, because the harvest is ripe. Come and trample the grapes, because the winepress is full. The wine vats overflow, because the wickedness of the nations is extreme. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near, in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will cease their shining. The Lord will roar from Zion and make his voice heard from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the Israelites. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy and foreigners will never overrun it again. In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the streams of Judah will flow with water, and the spring will issue from the Lord's house, watering the valley of Acacias. Egypt will become desolate, and Edom, a desert wasteland, because of the violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem, from generation to generation, I will pardon their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Abba Father, as we gather here online today, I just ask that we could all just be raptured up in your presence, that your Holy Spirit would just dwell on us today, Fill us up, Lord. Empower us. God, help us to wrestle with the tension of, of judgment and salvation, judgment and restoration. Father, help us to, to live and experience the imagery today. Help us to, to see it in our minds. Maybe feel it in our hearts and souls, Lord. Help us to grasp your word today. Thank you for this ancient prophecy. 
Thank you for preserving it through all these years. Thank you that we get to study it today. May we treasure your holy word today. Would you write your good news upon our hearts today? We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. We're in Joel chapter 3. We're going to take a look at verses 1 to 3 here. Verses 1 to 3 gives us an introduction to God's judgment on the nations. Joel situates us in a future day of the Lord. Joel begins, he says, yes, in those days and at that time. Okay, this signals a future event. Someday God is going to gather up the nations and he's going to bring them together in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, geographically, we're not sure where this is located, but we do know Jehoshaphat means God judges or God has judged, something like that. Okay, and so this valley, the valley of Jehoshaphat, it symbolically becomes like the theater of God's judgment. God's judgment. Often in the Bible, God uses valleys to bring judgment. And so here, here's the reason for the theater of of, of judgment, okay? All the nations are gathered uh, together, and here's the reason. God says, because my people, my inheritance Israel, the nations have scattered my people everywhere. God's land is divided up. People, uh, God's people have been scattered. They're sold. They're bartered. They've been gambled away. God is going to make things right. So let's take a moment and just just reflect and be reminded of who our God is. God is creator. Creator God is king. And as Psalm 9 points out, God sits enthroned forever and he has established his throne for judgment. He judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. God has the authority to judge and restore. God has the authority to set things right. And so in verse 4, God zooms in from all nations. He specifically calls out Tyre, Sidon, and, and the territories of Philistia, the seaboard people along the Mediterranean Sea. There is a reason that God singles out these people groups. For starters, they have stolen God's treasures. Okay, God is showing personal involvement here. God doesn't need gold. God doesn't need silver. But this is, this is who our God is here. God, he's like, hey, you know what? Humans find these things valuable, so I'm going to relate to them. I'm going to find them valuable too. And God says, okay, these seaboard peoples, they've, they've stolen my silver, my gold, my, uh, my fine treasure. All right. Secondly, and more importantly, we, we find out that the, the seacoast people, uh, they're involved in human slavery. The people of God have been sold off to the Greeks and they've been trafficked far away. Can you imagine living in a world where like, you know, you could get kidnapped by your neighbors and then like wake up in northern Canada or something like that. Like this was the world that Joel lived in. God cares about his scattered people. God 
cares for them, he sees them, and he is going to rouse them up, it says in verse 7. This is a hopeful promise. And as he, as he does it, as God, as God stirs up his, his people, uh, he is also going to bring about some amount of poetic justice. God is going to bring retribution. And so in this scene here, God is going to use the human system of slavery. Even though I'm so sure God doesn't like slavery, sometimes God contextualizes to us. He works with our human systems. And part of the judgment here is that these seaboard peoples will be sold off to the Sabians, which I believe is related to the kingdom of Sheba, modern-day South Arabia. In this ancient world, there are other frameworks that God could use to bring judgment, but his people were sold off. So God is going to flip that. That's that poetic justice. God is going to flip that bring poetic justice. He's bringing the twist, all right? He's like, you sold my people off into slavery. Now you're going to be sold off into slavery, all right? There's a twist. There's a complete flip that's happening here. Now, you might recall uh, in the story of Queen Esther, Haman builds the gallows to execute Uncle Mordecai. But ultimately, Haman is the one who swings. There is that, that flip that twist in the story. That's how God can, can work and God can use uh, the, the drama in our own stories uh, to, uh, to, to bring about retribution. Now note in verse 8, God brings justice for the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. Now, I think the book of Joel actually could have ended here. And, and while we don't feel great we do kind of, you know, we, it, it does kind of end in a way. It's like, okay, we just heard God is going to make things right. The bad people are going to be thrown into slavery. And we hear this message about God taking care of things. But Joel doesn't end here. Joel's prophecy goes on for 13 more verses. Let's take a look at verses 9 to 17. Joel, he busts out in more prophetic poetry. And while earlier we had an introduction to God's judgment upon the nations, now we're getting into it in more detail. There is going to be a summoning to battle. God tells the nations to prepare for holy war. God challenges them. He, he says, get your warriors, get your men of war, use all of your resources. Go to your, your tool shed and your barns, beat your plows into swords, your pruning knives into spears, recruit the weaklings, right? Like, don't hold back, prepare for total war. And this is, this is, to, this is to stir us up, to, to put big imagery in our heads. And, you know, for some reason, I just think of like a, a kung fu movie. In this epic showdown, it's God versus the nations. And God's like, come, meet me in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Except God's not there to fight. God is, God is there to sit down and judge. God intends to judge. And in the valley, in the valley where all of these nations are, are gathered, God sits down to judge. Joel, he uses some agricultural imagery. He, he illustrates the judgment. Verse 13, swing the sickle because the harvest is ripe. 
Come and trample the grapes because the wine press is full. The wine vats overflow because the wickedness of the nations is extreme. The message paraphrase translation puts it this way. The wine vats are full, overflowing with vintage evil. So the multitudes, the mobs, the masses, the nations, they're all gathered in God's theater of judgment, the theater of decision. The day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord has arrived. And on this day, someday in the future, the sun and the moon are going to grow dark. The the stars are going to stop working in the night sky. But on this day, on this day, God is going to roar from his holy city. Our warrior God, who is judge, he is going to show up and he is, he is going to roar and all of creation, heaven and earth is going to shake. The day of the Lord is terrifying. Except, except for those who, who call upon the name of the Lord. It turns out God's worshipers, those who have fallen in love with Yahweh, those, those who embrace God, those who, who believe, those who call upon the name of the Lord, they're actually having a good day. It's a day of refuge, safe hiding, and security. The day of the Lord is good news for the people of God. And the conclusion to all this in verse 17 is, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion on my holy mountain. Jerusalem will be holy and foreigners will never outrun it again. And then in verse 18, Joel, he drives us to this this grand vision of restoration. It's like a new Eden. We got kicked out of the, the garden before, but now there's like a new vision, okay? In that day, someday, in, in that day, the mountains will drift with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the, all the streams of Judah will flow with water. And then there's the temple. Joel sees the temple, the holy place where, where heaven and earth meet. Out of the temple, the, a spring flows and it and it and it it makes things grow along the way. It waters the acacia trees. These these desert trees that grow in dry, arid places, they're being watered. It's it's a vision of of thriving and, and flourishing. Someday all enemies will be taken care of. God is going to pardon blood guilt. God is going to forgive. God is going to wash sins away. Someday there's going to be no more sin, no impurity, no idols, no false worship, no defilement. God is going to wash up his kids, his believers. He's going to dress them up in white, and and God will live with his people forever. As we said earlier, the 20th century was one of the most devastating, it was bloodiest centuries in human history. And, 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 and in general, like, like in history, we are on a trajectory in history to a point in time where, where the world will be just ripe with wickedness, to use Joel's language here. And because of who God is, God is 
righteous. And he simply won't just dismiss our evil. There are no free passes. He will hold the world accountable. Me, you, the nations. And you know, if God doesn't bring judgment, if, if there's no accountability, if, if there is no making things right, if there's no restoration, then that means there's not really any hope. As a people of hope, it is theologically critical that God does set things right. Psalm 119.43 sings out, Never take the word of truth from my mouth, for I hope in your judgments. Now, if God is going to make things right, that means he will have to deal with my wickedness. And you know what? I cannot endure the day of the Lord. So what can I do? What can we do? God is a God of judgment, but he's also a God of mercy. And I just want to take a a moment and put Joel 3.16 and John 3.16 right there together. The Lord will roar from Zion and make his voice heard from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the Israelites. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is our story in the middle of history. The judge leaves his royal bench and he steps down into the valley and he takes on what we deserve. We live in an era of amazing grace. The lamb who was slain will roar from Zion and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has secured our rescue and restored us to a right relationship with God the Father. And so friends, as Easter approaches, next week is Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? It's here. It's here. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We, we have the opportunity as a church, we have an opportunity to re- reflect on God's story, on Jesus' story, on our story. And you know, a long time ago, uh, in Exodus 6, God says um, in his word that, that God is going to break the people out of Egyptian slavery with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And many, many years later on the cross, with outstretched arms, Jesus swallowed up our full judgment. Before Jesus, we are the walking dead. We are dead in our sins, but in Christ, God makes us alive. We are forgiven all of our sins. The the charge of debt that is against us, it's canceled. The things uh, that stand against us, that condemn us, it's all taken away. It was nailed to the cross. And believers in Christ do not need to fear death. We don't need to fear hell and 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 judgment, because Christ endured all of that on the cross for us. God is a God of judgment. And we see that in action 
on the cross. But he's also the God of mercy. God will judge. And the good news is you don't have to rest in your own merit because you can have Jesus. Calling upon the name of Jesus, giving your life to him, trusting in his work, means his righteousness has been imputed to you and your name is written in the book of life. With Easter around the corner, the good news is if you believe Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. And this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits today, enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, church, yes, PMC beyond, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with his kingdom realities and promises. God loves you, and he is always, always, always ready to redeem and restore you. He is in the business of rescuing and empowering. He is in the business of resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord,